friends, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we are exploring what our sacred texts have to teach us about being in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression. These are the times in which we're living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white people about our role in resistance and in showing up for liberation? My name is Will Green. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith. Surge is a national network of groups and individuals organizing white people for racial justice. And this podcast is designed to be a resource for white people working to resist racism and white supremacy. We welcome your feedback and especially appreciate feedback and accountability from listeners of color. A little about me. I'm a United Methodist pastor who lives on land that was inhabited by Pentecook people before the Christian invasion of 1620. I'm a white, cisgender, gay man, pronouns he, him, his, who serves a congregation in so-called Andover, Massachusetts. In addition to ministry in my church setting, I'm also involved in prison abolition work. I believe in a world without prisons. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about just one selection from the Revised Common Lectionary for Sunday, September 2nd, 2018. There are always so many readings to choose from. And this one is the alternate first reading for this Sunday. Not that I really know just what alternate first reading exactly means, but I'll be talking uh, about how no matter what reading we choose, no matter where we turn in the Bible, no matter what we focus on, there are always other readings. There are other lessons, so to speak, that we're turning away from and skipping over. So we'll be talking about something from the fourth chapter of Deuteronomy. Thanks for listening. find this lectionary selection from Deuteronomy absolutely hilarious, and I think you're going to get where I'm coming from when I explain a little bit. This is from the fourth chapter. Now, check this out. Verses one through two, and then the prescribed lectionary reading skips, and we pick up with verses six through nine. So just verses one through two, skip, don't read, then verses six through nine. As you can tell, I'm As I hope you can tell, I'm trying to make a really big deal out of the fact that a few verses are skipped over. We do not read verses 3 through 5. This happens sometimes with lectionary assignments. Sometimes there is a skip. I don't know about you, but I'm guessing, based on the fact that you're listening to an anti-racist podcast about Christian scripture, that you, like me, are normally drawn to things that get skipped over that get suppressed or overlooked or not talked about. I'm just guessing that, like me, when you hear the reading is Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, dot, 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 and verses 6 through 9, your first thought is, okay, what about verses 3 through 5? I want to know what those say. And I could be wrong, but I'm guessing that might be your, your general orientation. Well, if you are interested already in verses 3 through 5, just wait until you hear verses 1 and 2. Because they, uh, they, make, uh, they make the fact that we skip hilarious and interesting and worth talking about. So here's how the, the reading begins. From the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Quote, 
So now, Israel, give heed to the statutes and ordinances that I am teaching you to observe so that you may live to enter and occupy the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. You must neither add anything to what I command, nor take away anything from it, but keep the commandments of the Lord your God with which with I am charging you, and then, dot, 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 after God says, um, this is not quoting now, this is me, dot, 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 after God says you can't add anything or skip anything, the reading skips three verses and omits the next thing that God says, and then picks up in verse six. Now, before I continue with the reading, let's just relish in the irony of the fact that immediately after God says that the people are not allowed to remove anything from what God has to say, the church has inserted an ellipsis and dot, 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 removed the next thing that God has to say. Do you love it? Don't you just admire the hubris of the church sometimes? Sometimes I would just be shocked at the blatant hypocrisy of the church if I did not know the church so well. God says, skip nothing I'm going to say. Cut, skip, pick up the needle, pause the tape. Okay, now resume the reading a, a few verses later. It's just stunning. But this is the Christian tradition for you. You cannot make this stuff up. Christianity, you cannot make this stuff up. When I say you can't make this stuff up, that's, you know, that's a bit of a double entendre because we do make this stuff up. That's the whole point. That's what the tradition is. We edit, we take out, we add to, we skip over, we editorialize, we sanitize, we make changes to the tradition as we've received it. Uh, by the way, that's not always a bad thing to do, and we all do it. Uh, sometimes it's actually a very, very good thing to do, to be guided by ethics and principles that don't come directly from our Bible. Sometimes it's good to have a conscience. Sometimes it is good to have a conscience and say, you know what, I'm going to skip over this part. Or sometimes, you know, you're reading the word of God or listening to it and you think, well, thankfully we've learned and evolved enough uh, to not get hung up on this part. Uh, in fact, you know, I, I would understand it if this lectionary reading were even edited more heavily. I would understand and like if the committee that chose this text for the lectionary had also edited out verse 1 of this chapter from the reading. That's the part where God, in case you missed it, instructs a marauding army to enter a new, a so-called new land and occupy it by force because it's their God-given right. You know, one would think this might be a part of the tradition that could perhaps be rethought or at least not recited during Sunday morning worship. But no, that, that part stays in the lectionary. What gets taken out are verses 3 through 5. And I think when you read them, they don't seem that much worse than the glaring imperialistic uh, land grab of verse 1. Uh, the verses that get skipped just have God reminding Israel about the time that God destroyed everyone among them who followed another God one time. On the whole, this does not seem that much worse than what we just read. But anyway... Those verses get skipped, <laughs> verses 3 through 5, about the time God destroyed everyone who worshipped another god. But I'm assuming it was just cut for length, not because of content. Okay, I'm still trying to do the reading here. That, that was all the ellipses. That was all the point that gets, that gets skipped. And then the reading picks up again with verses 6 through 9 that go on 
like this. I'm going to continue with the reading now. Quote, You must observe them diligently, for this will show your wisdom and discernment to the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and discerning people. For what other great nation has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is whenever we call to him? And what other great nation has statutes, statute, statutes, <laughs> I said it, I keep wanting to say statues, no, statutes and ordinances as just as this entire law that I am setting before you today. We're getting to the end of the reading here. Then it says, but take care and watch yourselves closely so as neither to forget the things that your eyes have seen, nor to let them slip from your mind all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. And the reading ends there. I must say, this last bit about don't let anything fall from your mind, don't forget one word of what I said, this strikes me as gaslighting on behalf of the people who chose the lectionary selections uh, and who divided it up with those dot, dot, dots, you know, between verses 2 and 6, because there's a part that gets skipped right after saying we should never skip any part. The part that gets skipped, the part that we don't read, describes the things that we're told in verse 9 not to forget and to never let slip from our minds and be sure to teach our children about. That part gets skipped. And then we're told at the end, now never forget the part we just skipped over, immediately after the warning about not to skip any part. It, it feels a bit like a bad joke to me. Now, I'm probably overdoing this a lot, as I often do, um, but I'd, I've made my point now about how there is obvious editing and pruning of a certain sort going on here with the lectionary reading, yes? So, how does this relate to white people showing up for racial justice? Uh, here is what I want us to be aware of. Whenever we appeal to scripture, we are always making editorial and interpretive choices, period. Even if it is not as blatant and obvious as this reading with the dot, 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 right after the part that says we can't cut anything out, whenever we appeal to scripture, we are playing the same sort of game, if you will, because there's always polishing or translating or contextualizing or massaging of some sort. It always happens. And we need to realize for ourselves, we also need to help other people in our religious communities realize this. Whether our religious community is our, you know, people we see on Sunday morning or whether our religious community is the whole big messy thing called Christianity, we need to help people realize that appeals to scripture are not ironclad, irrefutable, and monolithic presentations of the whole story. You know, even when we're quoting God saying, this is the whole story and it's all that needs to be said and take nothing away, add nothing to it, but just focus on this. Our appeals to scripture are always rhetorical in some sense. Okay, to think about this more and what this has to do with our political work, I want to draw in something written by a professor of religious studies at Iowa State University named Hector Avalos, uh, an incredibly interesting and readable and relevant scholar who I hope you know. Read all of his books, I say. <laughs> Hector Avalos, he's written about healthcare and disability studies and U.S. Latino and Latina religious studies and slavery and 
other very interesting areas as they relate to the Bible, to the history of the interpretation of the Bible, to how the Bible is appealed to rhetorically and scholarship of the Bible functions within society. Check him out. Hector Avalos. A-V-A-L-O-S is his last name. Uh, But uh, I just want to draw on a very simple editorial he wrote this summer for a newspaper called the Ames Tribune in Ames, Iowa. Shout out to Iowa. Uh, This is from June 30th, and this editorial is titled, Is the Bible a Friend of Immigrants? Question mark. Is the Bible a Friend of Immigrants? Okay, the piece is looking at the public discourse following the time Attorney General Sessions quoted Paul's epistle to the Romans a few months ago. Do you remember this? The Attorney General used that famous quote from Paul about obeying governing authorities to argue that the government is always right and should always be obeyed. That's the long and the short of it. Uh, Sessions was making a speech, and he said that all Christians should know this verse, and therefore, because of what it says in the Bible, the United States government is justified in its actions. Because of what it says in the Bible. Don't miss that. You know, that's, that's the rhetorical force of what the Attorney General was saying. Now, if you remember this, if you were following this when it happened, if you were engaged with this, uh, you probably also remember that there was a lot of pushback from people who said, uh, no way, Attorney General, the Bible does not say that. The Bible says we should be nice to immigrants. And then out came the quotes about the orphans and the widows and the sojourners among you and how they should be treated well. I'm assuming you know the the references here in the traditions. Maybe you've even pulled out these quotes a few times in your own preaching uh, over the years. I certainly have many times. As a Protestant preacher myself, I have to say, there is nothing like a good old-fashioned Bible battle where we try to embarrass each other with quotes, ideally memorized with chapter and verse, and we use scripture as ammo. I'm being a little facetious here, but I admit these sorts of so-called debates really, in large part, are why I have dedicated so much of my life to studying scripture. I am a United Methodist, and a big part of the way we practice religion is screaming Bible verses at other United Methodists. We love it. This is like Holy Communion for us. You know, Methodists used to be big into singing hymns. Now we get together and we make these pearl-clutching speeches at each other where we say, well, I don't know about you, but I take the Bible very seriously. And so I have these three verses memorized, and I'll recite them at you now. I've... I've been involved in a lot of this in my time. Pro tip, uh, if you don't know, it's, it's best to have the verses memorized, but also, ideally, you should be holding a big floppy Bible in your hand at the same time as you engage in this sort of a, of a speech. Just know that you're not supposed to actually read from the Bible while you're holding it. Just, just gesture with it. You know, shake it in front of you or lift it over your head if you're a very confident preacher or some other motion that you've practiced in front of a mirror. Uh, Jeff Sessions is, of course, United Methodist, as you can tell by his smirk. And he's also, he's, he's active in denominational circles. He doesn't do- just teach Sunday school, which he does, but he also attends our denominational conferences twice. Uh, he was a member of our general conference, which is the global meeting where we really go at each other. And this is back when he was attorney general of Alabama. 
Anyway, he literally learned how to make these sorts of arguments in church. Uh, there, there is a tradition, a church Christian tradition uh, behind not just uh, the argument he's making and what he's saying, but also how he's doing it. And people who have wasted a lot of their life yelling Bible verses at other people in their church, such as myself, you know, we can spot this sort of thing a mile, and a mile away. He knows what he's doing. Okay, back to, back to Hector Avalos and uh, this editorial from the paper in Ames, Iowa. In his editorial, the professor points out the misguided nature of these Bible battles, which I've probably spent too much time making silly jokes about. And uh, his piece begins with this, this sentence from the editorial. Quote, Most biblical scholars commenting on the current family separation crisis at the border seem more involved in a sectarian battle about biblical interpretation than in a war against using the Bible to debate sociopolitical issues. The professor thinks that rather than trying to find quotes that can be selected to support your opinion, it is more responsible for biblical scholars to simply say, the Bible shouldn't be used as a tool for debating sociopolitical issues at all. And then the professor goes on to say quite plainly that actually the Bible does not convey an immigrant-friendly ideology. Oh, shocking. I know. You know, is the Bible a friend of immigrants? He says, no. (laughs) And he points out those favorite liberal texts about the widow, orphan, and immigrant. He goes on to say that uh, in this tradition, immigrants are to be incorporated and assimilated into the dominant Israelite religious ideology. The point of the text is not that people should be nice to them for the sake of being nice. The point is that they should be compelled to obey Sabbath regulations. You get it? Saying that people should be afforded social protection, immigrants should be afforded social protection, if they reject their native culture, is very different from saying we should be nice to everyone. And uh, this this is not the argument that liberals who are involved in Bible battles make or want to make. You know, the idea that, oh yeah, immigrants should reject their native cult, uh, culture and be forced to assimilate into the dominant religious ideology of this land, and therefore they should be protected. Do you see the difference here? Now, the professor's point is not that the attorney general is correct in his appeal to Paul or in his biblical interpretation. The point is that we should stop using the Bible to debate socio-political issues. No one is convinced of anything when we do this. And all it does is it centers Christian supremacy. Using the Bible in this way serves the cause of Christian supremacy. It normalizes the Christian tradition as in the, the dominant Christian tradition the one that gets quoted by, you know, white men wearing suits and ties, it uh, normalizes this tradition as the universal ethical norm for all debates and conversations. This is not good. Therefore, the point of the editorial is not that the Attorney General is getting something wrong about the Bible, which is what a lot of liberals want to say. The point is that these policies are inhumane regardless of what you quote from the Bible or how you edit the Bible. 
Whether you can find a passage that you think agrees with you or your opponents can, this is not a good way to make policy. This is not a good way to guide our collective decisions. And this takes me back to my interest in the dot, dot, dots of the Deuteronomy reading, or non-reading as the case may be. Even if it's not so obvious as in this week's selection from Deuteronomy, where we've got verses 1 through 2, don't skip anything, skip verses 3 through 5, 6 through 9. Even if it's not so obvious as that, when we go to the Bible, in a way, we are always skipping. Do you get it? There's something we're not saying. There's something we're covering over. We're always adding to and taking away from. As the professor reminds us, you know, that's the name of the game we're playing when we get caught in this sort of uh, back and forth. Sometimes it would just be better to put the Bible down, to not quote it, to appeal to other sources and authorities to guide us. In the case of the reading from Deuteronomy, for example, you know, rather than reading verses 1 through 2, not verses 3 through 5, perhaps we should try... How about this? How about we try to learn something, not from the Bible, but how about we try to learn something from the land itself? This thing we're talking about. Maybe the object we are talking about, the thing we're trying to exert control over, maybe that has something to teach us about our behavior and about what our future could be. Maybe the very thing we're fighting over and talking about has guidance and wisdom to offer us. Do you see? The question I'm trying to get us to ask with with all this is, what are we skipping over? What are we trying to avoid because we think it will be rhetorically useful? It's always something. Perhaps it's odd to say in a podcast designed to illuminate scripture, but sometimes it's good to pay less attention to the text in front of us and more attention to our context that has us turning to the Bible or appealing to something else for guidance. Let me just say it this way, just as a, as a general principle for your Bible reflection, for your prayer life, for your spiritual centering, for your sermon preparation, just as a general principle, identify and examine the ellipses that you have inserted into the story. When have you been so caught up with what you think will be rhetorically effective uh, that you have prevented yourself from being set free by the truth. Identify and examine the ellipses that have been inserted into the story. Uh, In this segment of the podcast, we try to point towards actions that listeners can take on this this surge value of uh, of taking action, showing up. Uh, It can be hard to do to figure out what to do, even what to say in a podcast. There's so much going on. There's so much happening. But in the spirit of what I've said thus far, I want to call our attention to what I think is one of the biggest omissions in our society today. I think we need to pay more attention 
to people who are incarcerated. As I record this, we're in the middle of a 19-day prison strike across the United States. It's going on from August 21st through September 9th. Plain and simple, here's what I want to say by way of action. Support the prison strike. Find ways to get involved in the prison strike. What's going on in your area? Are there rallies or demonstrations at jails or outside detention centers or prisons? Are there uh, letter-writing campaigns to people on the inside or to electeds or to media? Is there legislation pending, maybe regarding visitation policies or collective campaigns regarding access to clean drinking water going on near you? Do you have a pen pal who's incarcerated or do you ever visit people on the inside? What are you reading or listening to or learning about that this prison strike has turned you on to. And even if you can't find activities specifically related to the actual strike itself, it is worthwhile to use this strike as a moment to engage with and support people who are incarcerated, even in general, even if if they know nothing about this prison strike. Especially after the strike is over, support and advocacy are going to be very important as some people who are already being kept in cages are going to face even more retaliation and harm than usual from the system uh, after the strike, even if they weren't involved in it. To make an explicit connection with my reflections on Deuteronomy 4 uh, and uh, the reading, let me say that a lot, many reformist-minded liberal people are afraid to be in solidarity with actual people who are caught in the prison industrial complex, in prison industrial complex because of fear that prisoner support is not a rhetorically helpful avenue for change, right? Such people believe the logic of good guys and bad guys, and they've surrendered their freedom uh, to be thoughtful and principled and compassionate when it comes to the prison industrial complex. There are people who think they're involved in anti-racist work who skip over, so to speak, the millions of lives of people who are suffering under the prison industrial complex. Don't skip over them. Don't skip the strike. Don't fall for this rhetoric of respectability. Support the 2018 prison strike. joining me. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org, showingupforracialjustice.org, and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search The Word is Resistance, and you can interact with us there. Transcripts are available on our website. As always, the music you hear is a live recording of a song gifted to the freedom movement by Dr. Vincent Harding. The song is We Are Building Up a New World. The group you hear singing is called No Enemies. It's a multiracial group of activists and musicians in Denver, Colorado, who come together for movement choir practice, bring singing back into direct actions in other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is from December 2014 and is being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We're deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. (laughs) 